everybody. How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. This is episode number 192. Thanks for joining us today. Boy, uh, been kind of taking a break for a while. Uh, took some time off for Thanksgiving, and then we moved the podcast studio back here into the fabulous JRP podcast studio in my living room. And... Um, yeah, it's a good place. It's good to be here back in my living room with the purple curtain and kind of a really good acoustics in this room. So um, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we, we got a bunch of stuff we're going to get into today. We're going to talk about um, the marijuana legalization bill that was passed by the House of Representatives. I want to talk about uh, um, property rights within the context of some local news here in Poway. Boy, there's been updates on Trump and Giuliani and the lockdowns. And I mean, there's just so much to get into. So um, I thought I'd jump in on it here. So, you know, we, we are doing this as a live stream. So that means I welcome your thoughts your comments, your questions. If you're watching on YouTube or watching on Facebook, then, you know, join us in the conversation. You could type in your question or comment um, in the comment section of your Facebook or YouTube stream. I'll read them on the air and we'll have a little fun, have a little conversation. So, um, yeah, before we get started, I just encourage you always, it's really helpful if you can like, if you can follow, if you can share, if you can subscribe. I really appreciate your support. Um, now, this past weekend, I was uh, just hanging out watching the San Diego State Aztecs, and they had a nice uh, comfort behind victory against Pepperdine, and they're getting ready to play Arizona State on Thursday night. So um, that's exciting. And uh, getting into the holiday season, and it's COVID, and everything's crazy. But I, I first I want to start off a little bit talking about Trump and, and, and kind of everything going on at that level, at the national level with our president. And you know, the man is still in denial that he lost the election and his supporters are really, you know, his hardcore supporters, the the supporters that would stand behind him if he shot a person on Fifth Avenue in New York City. His supporters are just, you know, it's like a cult. I mean, they're they're backing him, you know, no matter what he says, you know, Trump can do no wrong. And, you know, here I am driving around Poway. I was on my way to Costco yesterday going through the intersection of uh, Poway Road and Pomerado Road and just saw all the Trump protesters there. And, man, they're just taking up all four corners. And uh, it's unbelievable how loyal and supportive, um, even in the face of knowing, well, if they're rational. They know their guy lost, but they're still there fighting the good fight. Hey, shout out to Mike Leland. Go Aztecs. Right on, Mike. Yeah, hey, loving the Aztecs season starting off 4-0. They're nationally ranked, I think, I think 24 in the AP poll, I think, this morning, which is great. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Trumps, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, the election has been over for a month, and yet those Trump supporters are still out there on the street corner every single weekend. And it's just, it's amazing. It's like, on one level, like, I kind of like what they're doing. I mean, I like free speech, free expression. I like that they're out there, you know, standing up for what they believe in. I mean, that's what makes America great, right? The First Amendment, free speech, free expression. Now, I don't necessarily agree with what they're saying. Um, you know, I think in many cases, it might be a bit of um, 
uh, I don't know, maybe just kind of wasted energy, right? Because it's not like they're going to change the election in the state of California. I mean, they're hoping maybe that they're going to influence elections elsewhere. I know. I think it seems to me that they just enjoy the camaraderie about around being around, you know, their people. Um, and I'll tell you what, when I drive through that intersection, lots of people are honking. Um, and it's usually a friendly honk, you know, a supportive honk, not a angry honk. I was talking to my buddy here in Poway, Larry, and he was driving through there and he was pissed. <laughs> he was leaning out the window and dropping F-bombs and really angry at them. And But you know what? I think they like that. I think they like that kind of um, attention, whether it's positive or negative. But it does make me wonder, you know, there's got to be, I don't know, at least 80 people out there, maybe over 100 every single Sunday. Are they all living in Poway? I, I don't know. I know that, um, you know, our frequent podcast guest, Pete Neal, ran the numbers and Poway, which is historically a very Republican leaning city, which, you know, we've gone over the numbers. It's about 45 percent Republican, about 30 percent independent or third party and about 25 percent Democrat. Well, Poway in every precinct voted for Biden overwhelmingly. Well, not overwhelmingly, but over 50 percent. You know, every precinct in Poway was blue this year. So then it makes you wonder, you know, are the people that are out there, I mean, they just must be true believers, right? You know, instead of going to church on Sunday, they go and they they uh, they worship on the corner of Poway or Pomerado Road and Twin Peaks Road. But it's something, you know, you see these people out there and the signs stop the steal. I'm thinking, okay, was were the elections rigged? Okay, let's really break that down. Now, I, now let me just say this up front. I did a whole podcast probably about nine months ago or so, all about how the elections actually are rigged. But my contention was everything that happens before election day. My contention was how third parties are are you know, eliminated, essentially eliminated from the process. Third parties are not invited to debates. They often have much uh, more, uh, much greater signature gathering thresholds to get on ballots. The media only really covers the two main parties. The electoral college in and of itself kind of rigs the system, um, you know, distorts a majority vote. Um, in other cases, you know, California is a winner take all state. So, you know, California being, you know, so overwhelmingly blue, it doesn't matter who we vote for. 100% of our state's electoral college votes are going to go to the Democratic candidate. And districts are gerrymandered. I went down the whole list of all the ways the elections are rigged. And I really believe the process is rigged. A lot of people think it's rigged because there's money in politics, and, and that's part of it. But sometimes a lot of the so-called money in politics is the inordinate amount of time that these candidates get in free media from these corporate media channels like CNN and Fox and MSNBC. I mean, they get so much free coverage that they don't need to spend much money at all. I mean, relative to um, – you know, not getting any cover, not getting any free coverage. So in many ways, the election is rigged. But is the voting process rigged? Is is there like some, you know, um, uh, 
is there is there some like gerbil in the voting machine? Is there some a ghost in the machine, some voodoo that is actually changing votes? Um, is there a system where votes are not being counted or fake votes are being counted? And that's been the contention of our friends on the right. But as far as I can tell, you know, based on my limited scope, is there hasn't been overwhelming evidence of this. I mean, if the I mean, I'm sure there's been like little things and we can all point to little things. I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, I'm sure there are some people that vote for themselves and then get a dead relatives ballot and a vote for them, too. I, I'm certain that happens. But does it happen in such overwhelming numbers that it's enough to tilt the playing field to to flip a state from blue to red? Um, that I haven't seen any evidence of it. And you would think that if such evidence existed, that it would be aggressively covered um, by the media, especially by you know media that is generally supportive of Republicans. Um, but still, I mean, uncovering a rigged election process where the voting machines and the software is distorted, I mean, that would be like, you know— um, that would be like, you know, the reporters from the Washington Post uncovering Deep Throat. It would be monumental. It would, you know, like, what was it, Bob Woodward and, and Leonard Bernstein? It would be such a massive story if there was actual, tangible evidence of this that was in such high degree that it actually changed the outcome of a vote and flipped a state from blue to red. I again, I, I have a hard time believing it, but it's amazing how our friends on the right, a lot of them still are are just pot. They're just certain that the election has been rigged and they're out there with signs saying stop the steal. And it's almost like they just and I get I see this on the left and the right. And frankly, I'm probably guilty of it as well. When there are people that you trust and who you follow say certain things and you tend to fall in line and adopt some of their talking points. And I think that's something that we're seeing as well from our Republican friends. But it's just unbelievable. So those supporters are out there every Sunday and they've been out there every Sunday in Poway on the intersection of Twin Peaks and Palmerado Road. Um, really every Sunday since the election. I mean, it's been over a month. And, and are they going to keep going? And are they going to keep going up until... Inauguration Day. Would, would they possibly keep going after Inauguration Day? I don't know. And again, like on one hand, I kind of like what they're doing. I like the free expression, but I just kind of wonder why they're doing it. Now, granted, there's some people out there probably making a couple of bucks. They're selling Trump gear and T-shirts and things. And good for them, you know, trying to make a little bit of money on the opportunity. But it's just something. And then uh, Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, he gets COVID. <laughs> You know, I don't wish ill will on any of these guys. Um, you know, Trump, uh, President Trump and his wife, Melania, they had COVID and, you know, he got the best possible health care that you think that any COVID patient would probably get. And frankly, as he should, as president of the United States, you would expect we get the highest level of health care. Um, but now Giuliani, I mean, and these guys have been sort of, uh, you know, ha have been challenging the whole um 
science of, of, the, of the virus and really have been going without masks, almost out of spite, out of you know, daring the other side to call them out. And then we see more of these prominent officials um, getting sick. And I think that for those of us that are here, you know, regular folks and we see leaders you know, our president Trump is, is one of our leaders. I don't know if you want to call Rudy Giuliani one of our leaders, but he's certainly the, 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 the attorney to the president of the United States. And he's not wearing a mask. And then he gets sick. And not only is he sick, he's in the hospital. Um, I don't know if he's in the um, ICU or not, but he very well may be. Um, so it's almost like our friends on the right are sort of living in this alternative reality where the election um the election was was distorted, yet they have no evidence that the virus is a hoax, yet many of them have gotten it. Um, it's just it's like when Kellyanne Conway's called them alternative facts. It's like we're in a George Orwell novel, you know, where war is peace and we're not dealing with the same objective reality. And that's what makes this so odd, so unusual. Um Mike Polite chiming in on the podcast. He said, the state of Georgia has counted five million votes three times now and came up with the same result. What those supporters and more specifically the leader of that party aren't saying is they don't want all the votes counted. So they're trying to find any way possible to eliminate the votes from counties that lean blue. We should start calling the Republican Party the infected. (laughs) It was like a Stephen King novel. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's amazing. I mean, th- this is another part of how elections are rigged, right? You you see a lot of this manipulation over who can vote and trying to suppress people from voting and trying to make it difficult for people to register or in some cases make it difficult for people to vote by requiring ID. Now, if it was up to me, I would make voting as easy as possible. And I, I say that knowing that I would probably get an outcome that I don't like. Um, I know that the more people that vote, typically the more it leans to the left, to the more it leans Democrat. And I'm not supportive of Democrats, but I am supportive of making voting easy. Um, frankly, I would like to see the voting age lowered to the age of 16 uh, because there are 16 year olds that are vote that are working and are being taxed. Yet they don't have ta- they're being taxed without representation. I mean, we had a revolutionary war over this sort of thing. Um, I'd like to see the voting age lowered to the age of 16. Um, I think that'd be great to encourage more participation in democracy and to educate young people more. I think it would give high school um Social studies teachers, a lot of things to really talk about um, because then students will be able to take action. Now, granted, I know students don't vote in overwhelming numbers, so the end result probably wouldn't skew it that far. But still, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm of the belief that – how do I say this? That from a voting perspective, when we're electing our leaders – I think democracy is a great thing, and I think it should be as prevalent and as widespread as possible. But once the elected leaders are in office, then I want to restrict their authority, their scope and their ability to centrally plan the economy. Because whenever they do, they usually do it to the advantage of some groups at the expense of others and violate our rights in the process. Um, So, um, yeah, it's just odd um, how 
our friends on the right just are in something of an alternative reality. Now, I will say there's one really good outcome that came from this election that I haven't commented on yet. And the state of Alaska, and I, you know, tell me if I, if I got my facts wrong here, but the state of Alaska has approved instant runoff voting, also known as ranked choice voting. This is a great thing. And I know the state of Maine has done the same thing. Um, the, the, what, I'm a huge supporter of ranked choice voting. And the beauty of it is, is that you never feel like you have to plug your nose and vote for the lesser of evils. Because how many times have you considered going out there to vote and there are, I don't know, four or five candidates on the, on the uh, ballot, like for president, there were that many. And you, you want to vote for, let's say, the guy that's running for the Green Party or the Libertarian Party. But you're like, well, I don't want to vote for that guy because he's not going to win. So I'm going to be so-called wasting my vote, right? That's what people think. And so they end up, you know, kind of holding their nose and voting for the lesser of evils. They pick the Republican or the Democratic candidate, and usually they kind of compromise themselves and figure, okay, which one sucks the least? And that's the one I'll vote for. Um, With ranked choice voting, you don't have to do that. With ranked choice voting, you can actually vote for who you want in the number one position, and then vote for someone else in the number two position. And then you could put, let's just say, your lesser of evil candidate in the number three slot. And then you could put the person you want the least in the number four slot, you know, assuming there were four uh, candidates. So then you could actually vote for who you want. And then there is an algorithm that works where they count the votes and then whoever gets the most first place votes is the winner if they get over 50 percent. But if they don't get over 50 percent, you know, then they throw out, you know, the uh, the, the lower tiered votes and they recalculate it. I'm, I'm probably not sharing the algorithm exactly right, but it's a beautiful way to encourage people to vote for who they want rather than voting against the bad guy. Um, and I know the city of Minneapolis has implemented ranked choice voting and they've gotten far greater voter turnout, um, which is wonderful. And granted, here in Poway, we had great voter turnout. It was like over 80 percent in every precinct. But in Minneapolis, they had fantastic voter turnout because of ranked choice voting, because people felt like, oh, OK, you know, now I could actually vote for someone that actually makes sense to me, even though I know that the likelihood of them winning is probably slim. But imagine then if people started voting for who they want, then those that so-called don't have much of a chance suddenly do have a chance. And then the system can be unrigged. And I look forward to that. So good for Alaska for implementing ranked choice voting. And I know the state of Maine has done that. And I know a lot of cities and counties have done it. But only uh, Maine, I think, is the only one that's done it for the presidential race. So hopefully more states adopt it. So now we've got two. Um, Okay, so uh, Pete Neal chiming in on the podcast, having a private conversation with Mike Polite. Uh, Mike chimes in again. More votes means policy that helps the people, in quotes, the people. The modern Republican Party seems to have more motivation to create policy that primarily benefits large corporations or ultra-rich families, with the idea being that these are job creators. Well, you know what? 
the Democrats also vote for policies that um, reward large corporations. I mean, the Democrats are the ones that bailed out big auto, and so did the Republicans. They were the they voted for bailout Wall Street with TARP. I mean, when TARP was passed, Bush was president, but Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House. So the Democrats are just as much of a corporate party as the Republicans are, um, you know, there might be some slight differences to degree, but there people have said, we have one party. We have the corporate party, the corporatist party, the party that sets up rules and regulations and other policies that benefit corporate established powers. And there just happens to be a left wing and a right wing version of that. And that's what we've got. Um, and, does the do the GOP primarily help ultra rich families? Well, they do, but really, if you look at and this, is an interesting um, stat. I, I'll share this chart in the show notes, and I'll probably post it on my Facebook page for the John Riley Project. You know, people talk about. Um, we, you know, back in the 1950s, the top marginal tax rate was over 90%. And finally, the rich were paying their fair share. And we got to go back to having a highly progressive tax rate. Did you know that, you know, back then in the 1950s, there were way more deductions and shelters and loopholes that the end result was that the top 1%, their effective tax rate, you know, after you factored out all the shelters and deductions and loopholes, their effective tax rate is roughly about the same as it is now. You know, it might have varied a little bit, like from the low 40 percent to the mid to high 30 percent. But no one ever paid 91 percent marginal income tax rates or may, very few did um, because there was so much opportunity to deduct expenses. I mean, back then you could deduct credit card interest and auto loan interest, and you could deduct, deduct a, the full cost of a three martini lunch. I mean, there, the list of deductions was outrageous. And that was really how they tried to socially engineer society uh, by setting up a tax code to do that with all kinds of distortions, with all kinds of picking winners and losers and trying to get some groups to behave in different ways when really – from a tax policy, shouldn't we all treat, be treated equal? I mean, really? I mean, shouldn't the tax policy apply to all of us equally? But Now, granted, the tax code is still loaded with all kinds of special favors or special groups. That's how politicians are able to hold on to their power. That's why there'll never be a flat tax. Um, that's, I mean, the, and one, by the way, the beauty of a flat tax, in my opinion, besides the fact that the rate would be the same for everybody, is the fact there would be no deductions, no loopholes. You couldn't write off mortgage interest. You couldn't write off anything. It would be treating everyone equally. Um, but that'll never happen because if it ever did happen, politicians would be giving up so much of their power. And they want to hold on to that power so they can continue to play the game. And to continue to do fundraising. So um, it's something. Uh, Mike Polite chimes in. Hey, can you talk about how Alaska votes a bit more? Um, I'd love to see how they can that can be applied nationally. Voting for the lesser of evils always feels bad. And yeah, I think I did comment on that, right? So um, they, in this past election, uh, they voted to approve ranked choice voting. So this election, I presume they had, you know, a regular election, kind of like we have in California, but where you've given four or five choices and you punch your hole or mark your Sharpie in the oval of the one you want. 
But moving forward, Alaska is going to be able to rank their candidates one, two, three, four, five, and put the one that they want at the top. And the lesser of evils in second to last and the evil of evils in dead last. (laughs) And that makes sense. That way we can vote for what we want rather than voting against what we don't want. Because the more we keep voting for the lesser of evils, the more we keep getting evil. Um, The more we keep settling for terrible choices. When good choices or better choices are available that people have been conditioned not to vote for them because they think they're giving away their vote, which is just sad. Um, Mike Polite says, agree, a flat tax would be beautiful. And yeah, it would. I mean, we can argue about what the rate should be. Um, I know that many flat tax opponents will say, well, you're taxing the poor and they don't have as much discretional income and it's not fair to the poor. Well, most flat tax proposals are not really pure flat tax proposals. Usually like the first, I don't know, 30,000 a year in income, maybe 40,000 is not taxable. And then beyond that, it is taxed at a flat rate. And still, even a lot of the flat tax proposals, they still let you deduct mortgage interest. So it's never really a flat tax, at least the proposals. And if we ever did get a flat tax, it, it wouldn't be a pure flat tax, but it would be better because how many, like there's like 70,000 pages in the IRS code and every page there is some carve out, some favor for some industry some demographic group, something, you know, where people are able to play the game and manipulate the system and play the game to win. And I don't blame them. I don't blame taxpayers for playing the game to win. Those are the rules that are on the table. But the rules themselves don't treat us equally under the law. And I think a flat tax would do that. Um, Mike Polite shares, voters rank the candidates for a given office by preference on the ballots. Exactly. So if candidate wins an outright majority of first preference votes, for example, 50 percent plus one, he or she will be declared the winner. Exactly. Right. So majority rule would work if um, based on everyone's first choice. If, on the other hand, no candidate wins an outright majority of the first preference voters, the candidate with the fewest first preference voters is eliminated and all first preference voters for the failed candidate are eliminated, lifting the second preference choices indicated on those ballots. And, and yeah, I think that's how the algorithm works, right? Um, It will filter out um, those first place votes for the candidates that didn't win. And then the, 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 um, the algorithm allows that vote to bubble up to their, their number two choice and so on. Uh, Mike goes on to say marginalized groups, those below a certain income threshold, would have to have a tax holiday until their income meets that threshold. So we're going back now to the flat tax. And I think, Mike, that's what I, yeah, I think that's what we're saying the same thing, right? A flat tax, if it were ever implemented in America, would never be a purely mathematically flat tax there would still be the the policy of not making income up to the you know the poverty line or income up to some level wouldn't be taxable um 
And and that was, you know, the, the, the guy that was a big proponent of the flat tax, remember, was uh, Steve Forbes. And his proposal was similar to that. Um, it wasn't it wasn't just everybody pays 10 percent, period. It had a little bit of nuance to it. And even with that little bit of nuance, it's still just so vastly superior to the tax code that we have now. How about you? But every time I mean, we're getting again, the tax season is going to start here soon. Every time we get into tax season, I just get a knot in my stomach, you know, especially as a small business owner. And you know, you're trying to do business and do it ethically, but you're just always afraid that something's going to go wrong and, and the, they're going to catch you doing something illegal that you didn't know was illegal. And you're trying to do it ethically and you can't possibly know every rule in the rule book. Um, and, and then you worry about them penalizing you and, and taking away your income and I mean, it's just a scary process and it's almost to a degree, I almost get a sense it's like a black box. You kind of input your numbers on one end and then a number pops out the other and and you're not exactly sure how it all was calculated. And I have to sit down with my CPA and go through it and we understand it. But the, the I don't know about you, but I just get huge anxiety around the tax time. And it's just a time that I just dread. Um it doesn't have to be that way, though. It really doesn't. Um, yeah, Mike, sorry, all, all over the place. Yeah, I'm all over the place, too. So um, anyways, yeah, so Alaska instant runoff, you know, uh, ranked choice voting, that's a good thing. Okay, I want to talk, gosh, we're at 28 minutes. I got a bunch to get into. I haven't been, I haven't done a podcast in like two weeks. It was nice to take some time off. You know, um, I kind of, as I was getting closer to Thanksgiving and all the election hysteria had really died down. I mean, honestly, I was trying to figure out when the hell I was going to talk about, uh, you know, doing this podcast three times a week. I mean, I, right now I'm doing it Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2 p.m. And that's a lot. I mean, it really is. It's like writing a, a newspaper column three days a week. I mean, you got to prepare and get your thoughts organized and set aside time. And, and then after I'm done, I've got to, you know, do some of the editing and uploading files and get everything organized so it's visible and viewable by everybody or or you know, on all the, uh, um, on all the, the podcast platforms it takes time and effort, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just something, you know, coming up with, with episodes, but now finally, you know, I kind of been getting the itch and I just need to get back out doing this. I think the more that I'm in front of a camera, the more that I'm providing content, it's good for me. And, and I hope it's good for you. Um, it's good for me because it's my self-expression. I'm kind of like those protesters out on the street corner here in Poway, but I'm reaching people in different ways. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I kind of like the whole idea of this podcast project. It's a ton of fun. And I met so many great people and I'm looking forward to meeting more people as this continues. So, um, and then I hope for you get to enjoy it along with me. And, you know, we have to get to have a conversation here along the way. And I appreciate that. And I know a lot of people actually for the last couple of weeks I've been off. I've had many people like, what happened? Where have you been? We miss you. And so I kept telling them, I'll be back. <laughs> I just wasn't ready. And, and now I finally moved my podcast studio back into my living room and I've got my new camera here and I've now finally got a big screen monitor right in front of me. You can't see it, but it's right there. So yeah, it's kind of set up again the way that I like it. But I had to get, it's a crazy story. I had to over here on the side of the wall. Now I have an ethernet port and you know, in order to do a live stream, doing it over Wi-Fi with video and having this sort of real time interaction with people 
it's it can be kludgy, you know. And I in the very beginning when I started doing live streams, I was doing it by Wi-Fi, and I had a lot of technical difficulties. So I have to have an Ethernet connection. So in order to move my podcast studio back into my living room, I had to hire, um, you know, an, an Ethernet cabling guy to come into my house and run a cable from my office on the other side of the house up the wall across the attic down into my living room. And now I've got a nice little ethernet port that I can kind of click right in. Um, and now I'm golden. So I'm really happy. So I'm back in the studio again. And thanks for everybody for joining me here. Um, back when this whole COVID thing is over, if it's ever going to be over, um, I'm looking forward to having guests back in the studio. That was so fun having people here in person and we can have a really great conversation. Um, okay. So I want to talk now, um, about this marijuana legalization bill. And um, this was passed recently by the House of Representatives. And this was a big deal. Because, I mean, think about this. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, you know, marijuana has been this voodoo drug that people feared it. They thought it was reefer madness. It was a gateway drug to all these other terrible drugs. And people just categorize this as so or something just evil. Um, but eventually people are finally have woken up to this. And it wasn't just the hippies that knew the truth, but now mainstream society knows the truth. And the truth is, is that marijuana is a medicine. <laughs> marijuana helps people reduce stress. It, it helps people get relief from PTSD from, you know, some of our veterans that have come back and are still dealing with trauma from their military experience. Marijuana kind of helps them settle their mind. Uh, marijuana helps patients that have epilepsy and seizures. I mean, it's a legit medicine. But even as a recreational drug, um, marijuana is insane more safe than alcohol. But for the longest time, it's been illegal. And eventually, you know, these states have been, you know, little by little, California is one of the first that would make medical marijuana legal. Then they eventually made uh, marijuana legal recreationally. And we saw a few more states flip on that and that's good. But um, it's... Uh, it, the federal government continued to keep it a, um, what do they call it? A controlled substance, like a level one or a tier one controlled substance, which meant that not only was it illegal at the federal level, but the scientists couldn't even do research on marijuana, um, you know, to, to determine its, its efficacy and how it can be used as a medicine and how it could have actually legitimate benefits for society. But instead, a lot of this has been being done by scientists that are sort of outside the scope of government, which means that it loses some of its legitimacy, right? I mean, if the government scientists study it and approve it, then people um, accept it as legitimate. Now, never mind the fact that I think we're learning more and more that a lot of times what the government's doing is illegitimate, um, that the truth is obviously outside the scope of government. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that now with what's going on at the federal level. But, you know, the, the bill passed the House of Representatives and, you know, I'll give them credit. I mean, it's taken them forever to get to this point. I mean, what took you so damn long? But they finally passed it and it passed with, I think, Every Democrat, except uh, for, except for a few, approved it. 
I don't know, maybe a couple of Republicans voted for it. The rest were all against it. And the one libertarian, Justin Amash, of course, voted for it. And it passed. But the Republicans overwhelmingly were against it. They just didn't have the numbers in the House. And no doubt the Republicans in the Senate won't pass it. There's no chance. But even though the bill had no chance of winning, it's still great that they did it. I mean, it's progress. It's moving the needle. It's we're getting closer. And, you know, I'm not necessarily like, you know, I don't smoke pot. I I, I don't do it, you know, myself. But it's it's nonsense that this is illegal. I mean, it's just stupid. It's just dumb that this this drug is illegal. But finally, the federal government is starting to make moves in that direction. And I think that's great. And I know Joe Biden, for the longest time, was an anti-marijuana guy. I mean, Joe Biden, when he passed the the you know, crime bill in the early 1990s, that was all cracking down on the war on drugs, the failed war on drugs, the war on drugs that has caused all of this criminal injustice that has resulted in, you know, a mass incarceration state that has resulted in an overly aggressive police force that violates the civil liberties of people, that kills people like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Eric Garner. Um, the war on drugs is a disaster. And Biden and even Kamala Harris were big players in that, which, again, is just amazing that they were elected. But um, Biden, I think at least the progressives seem to have twisted his arm that in his campaign platform, he talked about marijuana legalization. So he finally had a hallelujah moment. So that's good news. So we're seeing progress. So we're going to see how this goes. Um, A little more comments here from the group. Um, Mike Polite says, I worry about it all the time, not just tax time. Yeah, we're always worried about taxes. Um, Mike Polite says, I'm happy to come on and talk about marijuana. Yeah, Mike, I'd love to have you come on and have a conversation about marijuana and talk about, you know, how people are getting legitimate benefits from marijuana. I mean, there's also the whole hemp industry, the hemp industry um, you know, provides textiles that can be used for clothing and for, you know, rope and, and you know, uh, um, bedding products. But hemp is illegal in many parts of the United States. So it makes you wonder, like, you know, marijuana is illegal, but why? I mean, the 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 so-called do-gooders put the front on it that marijuana was this voodoo drug that the hippies and the black people use. And they try to make it, you know, this is back in the day. They try to make it like it was some kind of evil thing. Um, but really I think corporate influence has a big you know, part to this because as long as marijuana is illegal, then their comp, their competitors have a legal market competitors that make textiles that are made from cotton have a have a significant advantage in the marketplace because textile manufacturers that might use hemp is they make that competition illegal. And then if you're a big pharma and you want to sell opioids, well, marijuana provides pain relief. Marijuana could be a dramatically well, it is a dramatically safer, less addictive pain relief um, medicine. And if we if marijuana was legal and more widespread, we wouldn't have the opioid crisis anywhere to the degree we have it now. So it's just insane that marijuana is not legal. Um, but at least we're starting to make progress. Um, 
Mike Polite says, I saw a headline, the NBA is no longer testing for it. Good. Um, you know, what was it? Um, San Diego Padres catcher, Luis Campus- Camp- Campusano, is one of their heralded rookies. He got busted in the state of Georgia and he was carrying, I can't remember the amount, but it was more than just like a joint. I mean, he obviously was carrying a certain amount with the intent to distribute and he got busted. And now his future is kind of in question with the San Diego Padres. But to me, you know, if it's just like if you go to the store and you buy a case of beer to bring home to have with your friends, if you're doing the same thing with marijuana, I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, frankly, marijuana is safer than beer. Um, you know, so it's it's good for the NBA for, for no longer testing on it. And Mike, lots of comments from Mike. Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, talk about voting for the lesser of two evils. Biden's voting record is far from ideal. VP elect Harris, too. Um, and careful, John, you're going to get up. You're going to upset big cotton. Yeah. Um, Biden, I, I just think this whole era of Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, all of this um, aggressive police tactics and people rightfully protesting in the street. I get why they don't want a so-called law and order president like Trump that wants to have the police thump on people's heads even more. But Biden and Harris, I mean. Those are the the absolute worst candidates to pick from that Democratic field of candidates. I mean, I'm no fan of Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, but they would have been light years better than Biden and Harris when it comes to issues of criminal justice. I mean, frankly, Andrew Yang or or Gab, what was her name? Um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. They would have been far superior, particularly on these issues. Um, but it's amazing the Democrats. So voters ended up picking the lesser of evils and the cycle of evil continues. Um, so, but you know, what's interesting in this marijuana legalization bill, you see a lot of the commentary and usually when people talk about it, they talk about it in financial terms. They're saying, oh yeah, now we're legalizing marijuana and now we get to tax it. And man, we're going to make all this money in taxes. And this article I read said it was going to add $13.7 billion a year in federal revenue just by making marijuana, um, you know, no longer a, you know, a level one or schedule one um, controlled substance. Excuse me. Um, and it was also going to cut a billion dollars a year in funding on federal prisons. Okay. So the cutting on the federal prison side, you know, fantastic. But the, the rationale for legalizing marijuana shouldn't be financial. I mean, is there some financial impact to this? Of course there is. OK, but the, the reason that marijuana should be legal is strictly moral. <laughs> it's moral because it's your body, your body, your choice. It's a medicine. It helps people relieve themselves of pain and epilepsy and seizures and the difficulties of PTSD for veterans. Marijuana is a legitimate, helpful medicine that also, by the way, is used recreationally that is insane, massively cheaper or massively less harmful than alcohol. It should be legalized purely from a moral perspective. And then, frankly, you know, if people want to engage in the marijuana business, I mean, 
you know, we should have a free market. These kinds of things should be encouraged. Um, so what's interesting is they said that it was going to be $8 billion was going to come from just regular federal income tax on corporations that sell marijuana. And then there would be an additional $5.7 billion in federal revenue for the excise tax, you know, the sin tax on marijuana. Now, that doesn't count the excise taxes that are applied at the state and possibly at the local level. And in many cases, those taxes have added up to be so much that black market drugs still end up being cheaper than buying it legally, which then also creates some of these distortions. It's just government officials are always so hungry for people's money so they can spend it on other people. Um, they want to take from Peter to pay Paul. And, uh, and they see marijuana as another way to take money so that they can continue to use that as a power base to pay off people and buy other votes elsewhere. I just, it just bugs me when people see it from a financial perspective. Um, now, one interesting thing is, is also part of this bill that, by the way, didn't pass, but assuming that it did, it would have ex- expunged all um, convictions of people that are in prison now for marijuana-related um, convictions, you know, nonviolent ones. And apparently that would have relieved 73,000 person years. Okay. I mean, that's incredible. So if you think of it as, let's just say everyone got a one-year sentence, it would let 73,000 people out of prison for a nonviolent marijuana crime of buying or selling or using a plant. Um, They should rightfully be get out of prison, but we could not only relieve our prison system of this burden, but at the same time, save taxpayers money. Now here I am making a financial argument, but most importantly, we could let people be free. You know, this is a land of, you know, land of the free and home of the brave. I talk about this podcast is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, Using marijuana, selling marijuana, it shouldn't be illegal. We should be, we should have the liberty to pursue our happiness. And some people love that business and they want to be in that business because they know they're helping other people and helping themselves. It's win-win. So it's just a shame that it's illegal. Now, here in the city of Poway, by the way, um, marijuana dispensaries continue to not be allowed. Now, a lot of this goes to Poway being a you know fairly conservative city. But I mean, come on, people. Uh, there are liquor stores on street corners here in Poway uh, that are that are selling much more um, dangerous substances. A, a marijuana facility would be a opportunity for people to get legitimate pain relief without having to go outside the city and travel. It would also um, you know, relieve, um, yeah, relieve people of the travel and or how, you know, people are still getting it here anyways. They get it delivered or they buy it on the black market, but it would also enable entrepreneurs. You know, we want to support small business in our town of Poway, right? Right. Huh? Small business. We can empower small business owners in the city of Poway to sell a plant, something that's natural <laughs> that people grow in their gardens, you know, we have a we have a friggin uh, um, uh, farmer's market that's selling cucumbers and bell peppers and tomatoes. But people can't sell 
a different kind of plant. It's just silly. I mean, I just can go on and on about it. So at least the good news is, is that we're seeing some progress in Washington, D.C. The House of Representatives passed a bill to legalize marijuana. Now, it's not going to pass the Senate. And even if it did pass the Senate, there's no way in hell Trump would sign it. But um, it's progress. So I think we're getting closer to the day that this stupid law could finally be overturned. Um, got a whole bunch of comments here that I want to read. Um, and uh, Mike Polite says, I saw a propaganda piece that urged white men to keep their wives away from cannabis because it would make them seek out black men to have sex with. <laughs> Reefer madness was a wild time. Oh, my God. I mean, some of these some of the rationale people use is just nuts to keep marijuana illegal. Uh, Pete Neal says, sorry, you're off topic now, but there were nine other candidates for president. Those nine got 746 of the 28,000 votes, Jorgensen with 496 and Ventura with one to two got zero. Jesse Ventura, really? I voted for Joe Jorgensen um, and I think she probably came in third place. Um, And I felt, you know, okay with that vote. She's not my favorite candidate, but she was vastly superior to Trump and Biden. Uh, Mike Polite says, agreed, a Warren Sanders ticket would have been much better. Well, (laughs) from an economic perspective, from my opinion, I think they would have been terrible. Um, But from a criminal justice perspective, yes, a Warren Sanders ticket would have been way better than Biden and Harris. Uh, Mike Polite said, is it Oregon that's legalizing everything or better stated decriminalizing everything? And instead of sending addicts to prison, they send the treatment. I think it's Oregon. Yeah. So Oregon, I think, did a couple of things. They said, if you have a small amount of possession of any drug, not just pot, but um, if it was heroin or cocaine or whatever, and it was in really small quantities, like only for personal use, that it would only be a misdemeanor. It wouldn't be a felony. And so there would probably be a fine or maybe you'd have to go to rehab or something, but at least they're not throwing people in jail for it. Now, they also went a step further. And I think if I understand it correctly with Oregon, they made magic mushrooms legal. And, you know, these are the psychedelic drugs. And again, this is there's been a lot of voodoo and all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories around these drugs. But these are another legit medicine. People that have taken, and what's the name of the drug? Is it psilocybin or something like that? Um, but it's the medicine that is in magic mushrooms. Helps people overcome depression. Helps people win the battle of addiction on tobacco. I mean, there's a lot of really positive, powerful benefits to magic mushrooms. There was a, there was a piece on 60 Minutes earlier this year that went and covered it at length. In fact, I did a whole podcast on it. Um, so that's progress. And, you know, good for the people of Oregon. You know, there's are progressives that are actually, you know, making progress. So good for them. Um, Pat Johnson says, I agree, John, but Biden-Harris team was the ones that had a shot at beating Trump, which had to be done for the good of our country. Yeah, right. So a lot of people voted that way. They just voted against Trump. And Biden-Harris was the most likely candidate that could beat Trump. And so they put their votes there. So people were essentially voting for the lesser of evils. Um, They were voting. They weren't necessarily voting for Biden and Harris. They were voting against Trump and Pence. Um, 
and I and I get it. I understand that logic. And, you know, frankly, if I had a gun to my head, I would have made that same decision. If those were the only two choices, I would have selected Biden over Trump. But I didn't have a gun to my head and I had other choices. Um, but imagine if instead we could vote for who we want rather than against the one we don't want. It's a whole different dynamic. Um Mike Polite says, careful, John, you're going to upset the prison industrial complex on a roll, bud. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, what's interesting is, and I remember this is like 10 years ago or so, and there was a ballot measure in the state of California to treat uh, marijuana crimes as a, not as a criminal incarceration matter, but as a health or addiction matter. And, you know, there were people pro and con coming out, you know, you get your little voter pamphlet and you go through it. And- the, one of the groups, one of the main groups that opposed this measure were the prison guard union and not the private prisons, but the government run prisons who actually have a union that's extremely powerful in the state of California. And the sheriffs and their unions also opposed it because they want to keep marijuana illegal because it serves their interests better. Because there's more money spent on the war on drugs that ultimately goes into the pockets of prison guards and prison management and in the in the pockets of law enforcement. So, you know, yeah, I'll fight against the prison industrial complex all day long. We got to be throwing less people in prison in the first place. I mean, this is the land of liberty. We, I mean, we should have way less people in prison. I mean, there's some people legitimately need to be in prison because they've committed violent crimes. But a lot of this, some of these crimes are just utter bullshit. Um, Mike Polite says, have you seen Pete Neal's hair? No way that guy doesn't enjoy the reefer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Pete says, that's tobacco, Mike Polite. Uh, salads aren't fun, John. Um, Pat Johnson says, agree. Poway has to get with the times and it would help Poway with their taxes. Okay. There's the finance, you know, Pat Johnson saying, yeah, we should allow medical marijuana dispensaries or even recreational marijuana dispensaries in the city of Poway. And then, you know, there's the rationale there for financial reasons, right? For taxes. And granted, you know, our friends at city hall here in Poway, they're, they're itching for more money because their expenses are rising faster than their revenue. That's part of the reason why they're building so much on Poway road is they can have more property tax revenue. I mean, there's a lot of reasons they're building on Poway road, but that's one of them is they need more revenue. Um, so, yeah, I mean, having marijuana, making it legal, there is a financial angle to it. And I don't discount that. But the real reason is moral, more so than financial. Uh, Mike Polite says the 13th Amendment allowed a new version of slavery to replace plain old slavery. So some big brains decided to make what black people were doing illegal. And that happened to be marijuana. Yeah, that's true. Um, the what they called it, the new Jim Crow laws. I think that was a book. It was, I didn't read the book, but I read the summary of it and I have a pretty good gist of what it's about. Yeah. I mean, in many ways it's, you could say it's another form of slavery. I know that the war on drugs was created during the Nixon administration as a way to control the groups of people that they didn't want to get out of control. And that was namely blacks. This is during the time of the black Panthers, uh, blacks and hippies. Um, and that's what the Republicans in the, late 60s, early 70s, wanted to control those groups. But see, that's what government always comes down to. It's not so much about, you know, they say, you know, th this is a land, it's a freedom, miracle freedom, you know. But really, government officials are in it for power. 
and for control. And they want to control certain groups and limit their freedoms, limit their liberties, limit their rights so they can win the favor of other people. Those other people, the ones that vote for them. So, again, total distortion going on. And we see it with both Republicans and Democrats. I mean, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were drug warriors in the 1990s and 2000s. So it's a shame. It's just it's just nuts. Um, Mike Polite says it's pretty much impossible to commit violent crimes high on marijuana. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Pat Johnson says Mike has some great posts. I think he's smoking pot during the show. (laughs) Now, now, Mike, Mike is a man of reason. Uh, Mike is a Mike's a good man. And Mike, I I follow you on Facebook. I I really like your short videos that you're doing right now. Um, And they're all about you know, really ways to help people. And I think you're doing a great job. So keep going, Mike. Love what you're doing. Um, Okay. So uh, a couple more things I want to talk about. And geez, we were at 55 minutes. Um, I want to just say a few things about these lockdowns. And, you know, they just started up, I think, officially this morning, right? Um, And we're going into a three-week lockdown. And it's, you know, quote, unquote, lockdown. Certain businesses are open, essential businesses are open, but many small businesses are being shut down. And I get it. I mean, the ICU vacancies are are becoming scarcer and scarcer, and they've got to make sure they have enough beds available for people that have this virus. I get that. Um, And I know we're in a season where more people are indoors, and this is typically the flu season, so more people get sick, viruses are passed more. I understand that. But it, it just... This whole thing is just so overly authoritarian. I mean, again, we say America is about America, about freedom, liberty. Well, this isn't freedom. Um, when people are being essentially locked in their homes, unless they have a reason that's approved by the government to be out of their homes. Um, it doesn't, it's no longer aligned with liberty to have people's businesses shut down while their competitors are allowed to be open. There was a video that I saw recently on Facebook and it was a woman and she's a restaurant owner. And, you know, restaurant owners have been going through hell through this because the rules keep changing and you can have indoor dining. No, you can't have indoor dining. Oh, you can have indoor indoor dining, but only 25% capacity. Then they said, okay, you can do outdoor dining. All right. And then so people started investing in their outdoor dining seating and they've been getting nicer seating. And some cases they were getting, um, you know, canopies. And this woman had invested in this really nice outdoor seating for her restaurant and she got shut down. But literally across the street, there was this huge canopy set up for a big outdoor um event that was um, for one of the movie studios in Los Angeles, where they were going to be serving a buffet with food and there was table and seating. And she is like across the street with her own like small version of outdoor seating. And she was shut down by the government while these people on the other side of the street could, could eat outdoors. So the rules are just so illogical. Now, I know for a lot of people, you know, people were racing to get their haircuts or for women to go to the salon because they're getting shut down as well. And my wife told me a story is that the and I'll keep <laughs> my wife's hairdresser nameless. But she said that 
she didn't know if they were going to survive another lockdown because, you know, that's how she earns her income and to have her business shut down. I mean, she's screwed. Last time her landlord said, don't worry about it. We won't charge you rent. Well, this time the landlord said, I'm really sorry, but we have to charge you rent. But you know what? Wink, wink. I won't lock the door. So that gives at least some of these entrepreneurs to be able to do business on the lowdown. Um, and it's just a shame that it has to come to that. It's a shame that it has to be this way. Because if we can go into a Lowe's or a, or a Walmart or, you know, a Target, and we can be practicing social distancing and we could be wearing a mask then why can't people have their hair done? I mean, you could have the out, you could have the the hair salon could be outdoors. I mean, there's so many different ways this could be done and could be done as safely as reasonable. And then the people that are actually participating in it are making a choice. They're managing their own risk to the levels that work for them. Um, but what's happening now is is that government once again is shutting down huge portions of the economy, and then people will say, "Look, capitalism failed." Capitalism isn't failing. Capitalism is being shut down by the authorities. So um, it's just it's just awful. Um, now, my wife's hairdresser apparently reminded her that even while her business is going to be shut down, strip clubs are open. <laughs> and I know that there was a there was a court ruling in early November that allowed strip clubs to remain open. Now, in this latest lockdown, I haven't seen anything. I was I've been curious. I haven't seen any specific bullet point that says strip clubs are also locked or closed down. I'm kind of curious. Not that I want to go to a strip club, um, wink, wink, but but more so that, um, you know, the way the rules are, you know, where there's the exception for this group and not for that group. And it's inconsistently applied. And that's what drives people so crazy as they go through this. Um, so... Uh, Mike Polite says, I'm at my office right now, and you better believe I'll be smoking later. <laughs> be right back on a call. Um, all right. So I uh, want to just comment a little bit on property rights and a little bit of Poway news. And the big piece of news is, is that for those of you that live here in Poway, you know, I cover a lot of local stuff here. We've had a lot of the political candidates that have been guests on my podcast. I'm really grateful for that. Had a really good community conversation, kind of like a community forum in this podcast. And the big piece of news here locally is that the city council approved the project on Poway Road to build. It's a little over 200 unit apartment building complex at the site that is currently occupied now by the bowling alley and the thrift stores. And, you know, there's been a lot of concern and battle and, and the, the, the developer had worked a deal with the owner of the property. You know, the property owner still is the property owner who's owned property in Poway forever, owns the land underneath the thrift stores, owns the land where the bowling alley is, but he obviously wants to sell that land to a developer to build on that property. And originally, this group, Fairfield, which is the developer, wanted to build a lot more apartment buildings and wanted to have four stories. And granted, this is sunken from the street level. So four stories to the naked eye on Poway Road sort of appears like three stories. 
because one story is sort of, I don't know, below the level of the street, I guess you could say. But still, um, they wanted four stories and they wanted to, you know, maximize the apartment space and minimize the parking space. And they went to city council multiple times, I think two or three times. And city council kept giving them advice and recommending changes. They had public forums where people came out, in many cases spoke against this this um, uh, complex, against this development. You know, you can imagine any community where there's development that's on the table, there's always people that oppose it. And the common the common um, objections are always more traffic and people right now legitimately on Poway Road are really upset about traffic because there's already two other, well, you could argue three other construction projects that are going on on Poway Road where sometimes two lanes is reduced to one. And it's got traffic all jacked up. So people are already feeling the stress about bad traffic patterns on Poway Road. Now people are like, oh my God, you're going to put 200 more people in there and traffic's going to be bananas. Then people also will object to more, you know, do we have room in the schools? Is there enough water? You know, and, and every possible potential objection. And there are other people that live on the backside of those buildings that are in single family homes where now there's going to be a three or four story structure next door to them, you know, where people could look out their window and kind of look into someone's backyard. And that's a legitimate objection. So, you know, this 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 conversation has been going on quite a bit. Well, eventually the city council passed it. Um, and it's interesting. You see, first of all, should the city council have to pass such a thing in the first place? I mean, it's private property, right? And this is kind of my take on it all of it, is that this is land that is private property. The person that owns the property has rights to their property, and they should be able to build on their property as long as they're not harming anyone else. Um, but a lot of times the conversation about this doesn't even talk about the property owner in the first place. It's always about the evil developer or about all of the concerns over traffic and schools and water, et cetera. Um, But the person that owns the land now, that owns the land underneath the bowling alley and the thrift stores, no one ever talks about that person. Well, that person has an asset that they've had in Poway forever and they want to sell it. Okay, they should be able to sell it and they should be able to sell it to someone that maybe wants to develop it. That person has the right to sell their property and they and the buyer of that property doesn't shouldn't have to be someone that gets approval from the city government. I mean, as long as they you can't prove that they're harming or damaging others, then that sale should go down. It should be just between two people. Um, now, granted, here in Poway, we have Prop FF, which made certain parts of the city. You couldn't change the zoning unless it went to a vote. But along Poway Road, Prop FF doesn't apply. That upset a lot of people. Different rules for different parts of the city. And that's a legitimate problem. And it is a legitimate concern of people, I think, that live on the other side of this. They're going to have a big building looking down on them. But in the end, I look at this and I think... um, I'm glad it passed. I am. And because... We have a housing crisis and we need more units. And is this 200 unit complex going to solve the housing crisis in America, the housing crisis in California, the housing crisis in San Diego County? No, no it's not. But it's going to make a dent. Um, these, ho- this, these, these units aren't going to necessarily be affordable housing. They're probably going to be at least 2000 bucks a, year, a month to rent these. But 
when those open up, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to move in. I, I, I bet you they're going to have no trouble renting out those those uh, units because people want to live in Poway. I mean, it's got a good school district. It's a great place to raise a family. People are going to want to move here. So that's a good thing for those families to have an opportunity to move here. That's good. And they're typically going to be moving from somewhere else that, in their opinion, is less desirable because that's why they're moving in the first place. So that's going to probably be lesser expensive apartments that'll be freed up that indirectly creates affordable housing in other parts of the community. It frees up and opens up vacancies elsewhere. That's a good thing, too. But more importantly, I think from a property rights perspective, I think a person should be able to build on their land. I mean, it's their land. It's not like they're building a nuclear power plant and they're going to have radiation that's going to be damaging and harming other people. It's a it's a housing unit. And really, how much is this going to affect traffic? I mean, it's not like they're all going to be on the road at the same time. I mean, there's going to be an Im- impact on traffic, sure. But I would think that Walmart has way more impact on traffic than an apartment building on Poway Roadwood because people come from all over, you know, Rancho Penasquitos and Scripps Ranch and everywhere else come to this Walmart in Poway. That puts a lot of traffic on the road. But a housing complex, for most of the time, they're going to either be at work or in their place. They're not going to be, you're not going to have like 100 people lined up at the driveway to get in and out at the same time. So I, don't know, I think a lot of it's overblown. And I also um, contacted my um, school district representative, Ginger Couvret, and I asked her, can, can you share with me some numbers that show the capacity at our schools um, that are going to be near um, the, the new development? And she shared them with me. And there's plenty of space at Valley Elementary, at Twin Peaks, at Midland. So th- it's largely overblown about concerns about the impact on schools. There's space available. And honestly, Poway Unified would love to have more students because that means more revenue that goes into the district. So um, I'm sure Poway Unified won't be objecting at all to this. So anyways, that passed. And, and I, you know, I can't talk about Poway politics without talking about Steve Voss, Mayor Steve Voss. He lost and he lost his election for county supervisor. And I mean, the dude lost. What was it? Was it by 0.1%? Do I have my math right? I think it's one-tenth of 1% or is it one one-hundredth of a percent? I think it's one-tenth of 1% um, that he lost. It just unbelievably close race. And, and Joel Anderson won District 2 for the San Diego County Board of Supervisors. I mean, say what you will about Voss. I mean, I know some people love him and some people don't, but... That's got to be a tough loss, man. I mean, you know, I, I ran an election in 2014. I lost by around 1%, and that was tough. But by 0.1% or even less than that, I mean, that, and you just think, God, what if I could have just done a little bit different here or a little bit different there that I could have gotten a, just a few more votes, and that would have been enough? So, you know, I kind of have a little empathy for Voss. I'd imagine that, you know, it's got to be a painful dagger. Um, I was hopeful that Voss would win. And because um, I think mainly I wanted Voss to win to create disruption on the Poway City Council and create opportunity for new people and kind of shake the, the cage a little bit. But 
At the same time, I think having a, pow- a Poway person in the board of supervisors is potentially beneficial to Poway. Um, and it's rare for a Poway person to be an elected leader at the county level. So I was kind of rooting for that as well. Um, but it didn't happen. So now Voss will, um, you know, continue as mayor and he'll be up for reelection in 2022. Most likely he'll run again and most likely he'll win and win a third term as mayor. And uh, and we'll see. And so and I know there's some people, once again, chattering about term limits, and we'll see if that happens. Um, so anyways, uh, again, I'm really thankful for everybody watching and listening. And I'll be posting this up on the podcast platform shortly. I'm, I'm getting back into my regular rhythm here, and I'm still wondering if I should continue doing this. I like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I don't know if two o'clock makes sense. I originally did it at two o'clock starting in September because I wanted to make sure that my evenings were free so I could watch Padre baseball. Um, But now baseball is not going to start until April, if that. (laughs) So I'm thinking about moving this podcast maybe into the early evening, like around seven o'clock and kind of curious what your thoughts are on that, if if that'd be better or, or worse. Um, so if so, let me know your thoughts on that. Um, also, you know, today is December 7th and, you know, of course that's the anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor that led America into World War II. Um, I know Pete Neal was posting about this recently and yeah, obviously a huge moment in, in United States history, but to me, I know I have a personal story I want to share with you. It was the day after and it's on. Um, oh, Pat Johnson said Anderson won by 283 votes. Z- is that 0.1% or 0.01%? It was tiny. Anderson won. He's, Anderson's got to be thinking he's a lucky dog for winning that election. But anyways, we reflect on Pearl Harbor and December 7th. Um, but for me, December 8th is an interesting day. And you know, if you're a music fan, I mean, that's the day that John Lennon was killed. And uh, you remember Howard Cosell uh, told the world on Monday Night Football when John Lennon was shot out in front of the Dakota in Manhattan. Um, so you'd think I always thought of December 8th, you know, because I'm a big Beatles fan. But the other part of this is I had a tragic accident 18 years ago on December 8th. And I was putting up my Christmas lights on my house and I fell off my roof. And it was a, it was um, a Pat Johnson, 0.1%. So one-tenth of 1%, <laughs> just crazy close. But on December 8th of 2002, I fell off my roof putting on my Christmas lights. And I fell onto my concrete driveway on my face and on my shoulder. And, you know, I've heard since then, I've read stories about people that have died falling off their roof, particularly around the Christmas season, putting up lights. I mean, I was messed up. Um, I couldn't work for three months. Um, I was um, in the hospital for like about a week or two and completely delirious. Couldn't, I, even when I got out of the, of, of the of hospital, I was on such heavy pain medication, I couldn't think straight. And I was on heavy opioid doses of, um, it was Vicodin. And I'll tell you what, man, that, that is an amazing drug. Um, but I could feel... The addiction, like as I started feeling better, um, having less pain, I could feel being drawn to my twice a day Vicodin. And I had to really make a conscious effort to kind of 
keep it at arm's length. So I hear about people addicted to opioids and man, I get it, you know, cause I was there. Um, but, uh, I'll tell you what, like even like a month, two months after my accident, my brain was still foggy. I mean, I couldn't think clearly. I was literally worried that I would never return to normal. Um, and eventually after about three months, I was able to go back to work and kind of slowly go back into a regular rhythm. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm often the butt of a lot of people's jokes when talking about Christmas tree lights. It's serious shit, friends. Um, if you're on a ladder, anything can happen. And you know what I did? Um, I have one of those really big extension ladders, you know, where it's like two ladders combined into one. And you know how you can kind of lift it and go ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. Well, I had done that and gotten it up to, oh, thank God it was only on my first story. I wasn't on the second story. Um, but then when I, it was time to go down the ladder, I didn't have the ladder up high enough on the edge of my house. So I had to lean over and lift the ladder up, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. So I had like something to hold on to, to flip around, to get on the ladder, to go back down. Well, as I went, lifted it up, ka-chunk, 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 the last ka-chunk didn't click. So when I swung around and stepped on the ladder, it went and I fell on the ground. Um, my neighbors across the street saw it happen and they alerted my wife and the hospital uh, ambulance came and everything. It was a very serious matter. And so, yeah, so that's tomorrow, 18 years. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I hung Christmas tree lights once at our new house, but it's only a one story house. I could actually do it without getting on any ladder at all. Um, but I'll tell you what, if you hang lights at your house, be careful. If you can hire a professional to relieve yourself of it, it's just not a risk that's worth it, man. The stupidest nonsense, simple thing could happen and it's game over. Um, one of my buddies was telling me that he had a friend of a friend that fell off his roof and landed on a metal spiked um, fence, you know, that has like, like, points sticking up and landed on it and was impaled, like had the metal go through him and was like dead, stuck on a fence. Like, oh my God. So be careful out there, friends. I mean, it's just brutal. Um, so I guess the main rule here is, is YOLO, man. You only live once. You only live once. So take advantage of life. Don't, you know, every day is precious, my friends. So really, you know, pursue your happiness. Um, Hey, if you want to continue the conversation, seek me out on social media. You can go to my website, johnreillyproject.com slash connect, johnreillyproject.com slash connect. And there's all my social media icons there. You can click on those and you'll find the YouTube channel and you'll find all of the uh, podcast platforms because we're on Apple, iTunes and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. Um, but we're also, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all of them. You can follow me there. Go to johnreillyproject.com slash connect and you can connect with me on social media. I'd love to continue the conversation with you. Um, and I do have a quote. And this is a quote from Walter Williams. Now, Walter Williams passed away on December 1st. And you're probably thinking, who's Walter Williams? Well, Walter Williams is uh, or was a free market economist. He was a professor at George Mason University. And he's a very, pretty famous man. I mean, he would, now Grant, I don't know how you feel about Rush Limbaugh, but he would sometimes fill in for Rush Limbaugh. 
And, um, but he was mostly an economist, right? More, more about finances rather than a lot of the social issues, cultural issues that Limbaugh talks about. But, um, really an amazing guy, a smart guy, a free market economist, which is very much how I think. And I got a quote I want to share from him. It's really good. And he says, the rise of capitalism brought greater morality into our relationships. There is the biblical passage. It is as difficult for a rich man to get into heaven as for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. That biblical phrase was quite appropriate for the time because wealth was most often acquired through capturing, plundering, and looting your fellow man. But with the rise of capitalism, people like Bill Gates are rich because they have served their fellow man. Gates has made his fellow man very happy by building Microsoft computers and software. Fred, well, he didn't really build computers, but software for sure. He built mice and keyboards. I don't think Microsoft ever built a computer, but I digress. Um, Fred Smith with Federal Express serves his fellow man too. The morality of the free market should be stressed because it is far superior to any other method of allocating resources. That's a great quote. Um, because, you know, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of capitalism. I'm an advocate of laissez-faire capitalism, of free markets. And the reason is, is because in laissez-faire capitalism, transactions are done on win-win relationships. The buyer wins and the seller wins. They both walk away better off. And that's what makes capitalism so great. That's how we've been able to build so much wealth in society, not just for the elite and the top 1%, but at every strata of income, our wealth is gained through capitalism. And it's typically the forces that oppose capitalism that thwart or restrict our ability to create and build wealth. And I think Walter Williams makes a great point here that there is a moral justification for capitalism because it is, it is based on serving your fellow man by providing products and services to your customers that improve their lives. And yeah, for the longest time in history, how many people were poor? Like going up to the time of the United States Revolutionary War, what percentage of the population was poor back then? Probably 95% of the people were poor, probably just living day to day. 95% of the people on the planet. And it was probably like that for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. And the only way people got rich is if they stole from someone else or if their war went and battled a, a war, uh, battled in another nation and they looted and pillaged the, the people there and took their things. And that's how wealth was accumulated through theft. But now wealth is created by people trading and getting value for value. And that's really powerful. And it's something that I like to talk a lot about in this podcast. And it's something that I think Walter Williams, who passed away on December 1st at the age of 84, um, rest in peace, Walter Williams. I think that's a really powerful quote. And I could probably read so many others from him, but I would invite you to go check out his work. Um, I don't support him on everything, but on a lot of it I do, especially on economics. Um, so you seek out Walter Williams and you'll see um, some of his work, especially when he was younger, um, is really good, really powerful. 
And um, you can see, and you just do Walter Williams on YouTube. There's a ton um, of episodes with him talking about a long variety of issues. So at any rate, um, hey, we're back. We're back in the saddle. We're back in the rhythm. The John Riley Project, we're back. So I'm going to get back on this Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing. I'm still going to do two, but I may change it and do it after dinner time. But not too late, you know, probably like around a seven o'clock or so, maybe eight o'clock at the latest. Um, that might be better for me. Um, we'll see. But stay tuned. I'll give you some updates, um, especially if you follow me on social media, I'll let you know. But I want to thank you all. Um, I hope you all are having a great holiday season. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and looking forward to a great Christmas. And I know it's going to be difficult with the pandemic and the lockdown and everything else, but we're all making do. We're all doing the best we can. So I wish you and your family nothing but the best. And I'll see you again on Wednesday, um, which will be December 9th. And we'll take care, friends. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.